Hello, and welcome to Love as a Business Strategy, a podcast that brings humanity to the workplace. We're here to talk about business, but we want to tackle topics that most business leaders shy away from. We believe that humanity and love should be at the center of every successful business. I'm your host, Jeff Ma. I'm a director at Softway, a company that helps businesses connect with their people to build resilience through culture building products, leadership development, and technology. And today, I'm joined by President and CEO of Softway, Mohammed Anwar. Hey, Mo. Hey, hey, everyone. So, Mo, I'm really excited about today. We're going to be trying something new. Uh, in fact, we're doing two new things today for the first time ever. For starters, this is going to be the first in a series that we're calling Love as a Humanizing Initiative. And we plan to have more episodes down the line that follow this path. And the second new thing we're doing is we're also recording an episode with four guests at once. So there's going to be six people on this podcast. Do you think that's too many, Mo? Is that? I, I don't think so. We're about to find out. So, <laughs> uh, so without further ado, uh, although these are individually amazing and spectacular human beings, I will first introduce them as a group. Collectively, they are the four co-founders of the Humanizing Initiative. Dr. Shaista Kilji, Jason Smith, Mia Amato Kaliendo, excuse me, and Zoe King. And we are going to meet each one of them immediately here. But before we do, there's a bit of a, a uh, tradition, I guess, we have of ice breaking. We'll use that um, to our advantage here. And so a little bit on the spot, but I'll keep it simple for you guys. And I'll start with um, Dr. Shaista Kilji here. Uh, we're, we're going to keep it simple. Let's do a quick introduction. And the, and the question I'll have you answer is, what is the first thing you would want to do whenever the pandemic is over? Wow. Thank you, Jeff, for giving us this opportunity. So I'm Shaista Kilji. I'm founder of the Humanizing Initiative. I'm also an academic at George Washington University uh, and uh, also the director of the Organizational Leadership and Learning Program there. When this pandemic is over, I would love to travel. I haven't traveled to a single place this entire year. And my son and myself, we've been planning. It has to be somewhere special. So that's what I'm looking forward to doing. Great answer. Awesome. I'll move on to Jason. So Jason, I'm actually going to keep it simple and um, we'll keep the same question. So let's go with brief introduction and what's the first thing you want to do when the pandemic is over? Yeah. So uh, my name is Jason Smith uh, and uh, I am a leadership uh, development manager and also a leadership coach um, and part of the humanizing initiative. And the thing I'd like to do, I would absolutely love to travel. Um, and I, I think more simply and closer to home, I want to go uh, sit at a bar with my wife, have lunch and a beer and just not worry about, being too close to anybody or anything else. <laughs> the simple things in life. Awesome. All right, moving on to Mia. Same setup. Quick introduction. What's the first thing you do after the pandemic? Yeah, I'm Mia. I'm from St. Martin, but live in Miami. And I'm a project manager in tech. And I'm also a co-founder. And I'd have to say, uh, Dr. Kilji and Jason definitely are on the same page, um, traveling for sure. But I think what's been uh, interesting is you really get to think 
specifically and intentionally about where you're going to go and what you're going to do. So I feel like the itinerary has gone, uh, it's gotten really detailed, but I'd, <laughs> I'd love to get to a few different countries as soon as the pandemic is over. All right. Well, I'm afraid to ask Zoe, but a quick introduction and what's the first non-travel thing you'd like to do <laughs> when the pandemic is over? <laughs> Definitely. Uh, my name is Zoe. I am a recruiter. I work in the talent acquisition space. I'm also a graduate of the OLL program uh, where I worked with Dr. Kilji and uh, non-travel related, but may maybe I'll travel there. Um, I'm a runner, so I'd love to do mm -hmm. some sort of a race in person, not a virtual race. Mm -hmm. um, so never thought I would say I want to do a half marathon, but I think that's going to be that's going to be on my list. Awesome. Amazing. <laughs> well, all four of you, thank you so much for being here and welcome to the show. I'm super excited to kind of dive into this series that we've decided to do and, and give a shot at it's It's really exciting, but I don't want to leave Muhammad out. Muhammad, what's the first thing you're going to do when this pandemic is over? Uh, I did not think about it, but I think I'm going to go visit India. I, I make a lot of trips to India to visit our team. And this is the first time I've stayed, um, you know, away from India for this long and away from our team members. So I would love to make a first trip would be to India and meet our team down there. Awesome. So let's kick it off. We're doing a series called Love as a Humanizing Initiative. So clearly a play on both of our um, kind of our fortes here put together in one in one kind of series. So start us off here and forgive me i'm gonna address all of you at the same time you can all just start yelling your answers at the same time we'll fix it in editing right i'm kidding please don't do that what what is the humanizing initiative simple question right Let's see there's the silence okay so i'll go <laughs> so our vision is uh, that we seek to humanize leaders and organizations to cultivate humanistic leadership. And I think there's a background behind that. Each one of us probably has our own story to tell in terms of what brought us here and what brought us together to launch this initiative. So I'll stop here and let others uh, um, also sort of describe it in, in the way they see it. Yeah, I'll go. And, you know, I think um, one of the things that, that I would think is really core to the humanizing initiative for me is really bringing the focus um, back on people um, and not only people, but people and their well-being and their uh, the things that are really meaningful to them and not try to put too many filters in between that. Right. Like just like well-being in and of itself. That's what the humanizing initiative is to me. Nice. Got it. And I think, Jason, just what you mentioned about, you know, focusing on people, I think, you know, we've seen what happens when organizations solely focus on profit and solely focus on uh, stakeholders. But I think if we can reimagine what organizations look like and really invest in people as a resource, I think that organizational effectiveness, I think that profitability just comes as a happy byproduct. So I think really bringing humans to the center of an organization's mission and focus is really central to that company or that organization's success. 
Awesome. I think what really strikes me about humanizing the humanizing initiative and what started with a humanistic leadership course, which I'm sure we'll talk about in more detail, is there's a lot of information out there. There's a lot of leadership theories out there, leadership development out there. And as a, as a in praxis, but also as a student, it was one of the most capturing theories that I could see actually truly addressing some of the concerns that I've observed in our in our globalized world, because we are all interconnected. And I think that being a part of something that sort of refocuses what's most important was was really spectacular and and more like a calling. So the initiative is really where we come together and really try to leave the world better than we found it. If you don't mind explaining, how did you guys meet each other? <clears throat> and how did you guys come up with the idea of starting the Humanizing Initiative, if, if you guys don't mind sharing? So I can go first, if that's okay. Yeah, yeah. please. So um, how did we come together? I think that's, that's such a good question. But uh, before we talk about how did we come together, I want to talk a little bit about my a personal perspective with um, with respect to leadership because that actually helps explain how we came together. So, you know, um, as I said before, I'm an academic, I work at GW and, um, you know, I began my career as a global scholar. I've been interested in cross-cultural issues. And of course that research continued to evolve over a period of time. And for the past decade or so, I've been focused on, you know, this white, spread dissatisfaction with contemporary leaders globally, uh, particularly when we consider the corporate culture and leader development, um, which has been mostly fueled by financial scandals that have highlighted ego and greed amongst uh, corporate and political leaders. Uh, number two, the inherent assumption that we make as a society. Uh, there are two assumptions um, uh, in my perspective. Number Number one, that leaders are miracle workers, right? Um, who have absolute power. And we know that this is no longer true. Uh, as there has been a shift in this power dynamic or balance of power between leaders and followers, uh, which has made follower leader uh, dissent much more common within organizations. Number two, we have this tendency to romanticize leaders, right? Uh, where leaders consider to be this great man uh, who can who knows it all and can do it all. Um, so by through these assumptions, we've reinforced a universal universalistic view of um, leaders. Uh, number three, you know, in my research, and I think many other leadership scholars and leadership practitioners have come to a realization that human experience is really critical to our understanding of organizations and leaders, as well as leadership. Um, in, unfortunately, in search for parsimony or simple prescriptive solutions, we have ignored the human experience because it's so complex, it's so multidimensional, and it's so messy, and it continues to evolve. So as you know, um, as I mentioned earlier that I uh, lead a master's program in organization leadership and learning at GW and through my research, I was becoming aware of and focusing on these three aspects. Um, and these, uh, my research was feeding back into um, the leadership development program. I went on sabbatical, I focused on these issues quite a bit. I came back and developed two courses. One was humanistic leadership 
um, I was introduced to this notion of humanistic leadership um, as um, being the savior, if I could use that word, um, uh, to develop leaders who care about the well-being and dignity of individuals around them, leaders who um, use empathy, compassion, leaders who are responsible. Um, so I you know, developed that course. Um, and the other course I developed was diversity, equity, and inclusion, uh, become very much, becoming very much aware of inequalities at workplace and how we need to become much more inclusive. So I have offered those classes at GW and Nia, Zoe, and Jason took my classes. Um, and um, I was, you know, the more I taught those classes, the more inspired I became by these ideas. I was in, engaged in research. So last year in December 2019, I was working on a paper which was focused on humanizing leadership education. So talking about some of the same issues that I've mentioned. And I came up with this idea that, you know, I really do want to change the world uh, for the better. Um, and I think we need to think about humanizing uh, leaders and we need to think about humanizing organizations. So I reached out to Mia, Zoe and Jason earlier this year and I said, you know, hey, I'm interested in doing that, want to join? Yeah. Um, based on their interest and the work that I had done with them subsequent to them taking those classes. And that's how, you know, we launched the initiative and um, yeah, it's been an exciting journey. Awesome. So if I don't, if you don't mind, I'll, I'll start with Zoe. So Zoe, when you were called on by Dr. Hilji to join you, uh, to join her in this initiative, what was going through your mind and what inspired you to move forward with this decision? Yeah, absolutely. I think that this group here is very much like-minded in the sense of how can we be disruptors as it relates to the way that we do our work, the way that we show up to our work, and the way that we approach leadership and inclusion and, um, you know, all of those uh, kind of aspects of, of what it means to be a part of an organization. And that's really what drew me in. Um, it's this kind of idea of an alternate way of doing work. And I think especially in the climate that we're in and what we've seen throughout this year, we've, we've kind of seen that there is um, consequences to, I think, the way that we, especially in, in this culture, approach work with, um, you know, these 40 plus hour work weeks with this, again, focus on profit versus people. And I think that especially with the pandemic, there has been such a light shown on um, you know, bringing your full self to work. A lot of us are in our homes and we are, you know, our work is literally at home um, for, for many of us. So I think thinking through how we can do things differently so that we can feel more energized showing up to our work, so we can feel more invested showing up to our work. And I think having that focus, um, leaders, I think would really be surprised to see the returns um, and, you know, not approaching it from that business perspective, knowing that those returns will come inevitably, but really from that human centered focus of, uh, and, and Jason wrote a great piece on this, um, you know, the workplace as a place of transformation and, and inspiration. So I think really having that, um, you know, disruptive mindset is something that really kind of brought us all together. Got like that. Nice. Mia, what is, what does this work mean to you personally? 
it's kind of like a life dream fulfilled. Uh, not to sound too cheesy, but too late. when, <laughs> and I mean that wholeheartedly <laughs> with that, Dr. Kilji is certainly one of my most favorite professors I've ever had. And it was always because she, uh, she asked the most thought provoking questions. And it wasn't that she ever shied away from sharing her own opinions, but she really used question thinking in a way that drew me in. And so I wanted to take all of her classes but particularly the, um, the humanistic leadership course was fantastic because it was this new space that sort of answered so many things that I felt were unanswered in other leadership theories. So in, my, in a prior role that I had, servant leadership was a very big focus. Uh, you know, we used situational leadership. We've, we know transformational leadership. So there were all these sort of themes, theories that were used in my workplace that I found a lot of value in. But there were always just things that I felt were unanswered or unaddressed. And a lot of that was answered in this course. And in subsequent classes that I took with Dr. Kilji, specifically an independent study where I focused on, I, I was really digging into why inclusion and diversity programs failed. That's why I went back to school. I left my job and went back to school because that's what I wanted to do. And um, really working through a very ambiguous space with Dr. Kilji and having her be a soundboard, but not too influential, I thought was really fantastic in how someone can be a part of not shaping the mind, but allowing someone to explore something that maybe they wouldn't have gotten to. And so when she sent an email saying, I have this idea, I'm thinking about doing this, I was, I was honored that I got to be part of something that she was working on because I thought she was brilliant. Oh, thank you, Bia. <laughs> you made my day. You made my whole year. Oh. Pandemic year. Well, Jason, uh, what what excites you the most about the work that you guys are doing or plan on doing? As I also think Dr. Kilji is brilliant. Just if we're if we're we're making sure that we're saying that, so absolutely. <laughs> I mean, um, I think I think the same as well. I also think you're great. I did not pay any one of you to say that. <laughs> Let it be on record. <laughs> so the most exciting part of the of the work um, that we're doing, um, you know, I, I think that um, to me, the most exciting part of the work that we're doing is is really that it strips down leadership to what I think is its bare component, which is really focusing on on as I said before, human human well-being. You know, we we kind of like put a lot of different layers in between that and characterize it in different ways. But when it comes down to it, that's what it's all about. And it's been that way, you know, since we were probably hunter-gatherers. Like it was about, you know, the well-being of the people in the small unit that was that was that was together. That's what it's still about, but we've lost focus on that. And so what I like about this and what I, is really kind of bringing that back into the workplace. And the other exciting thing I think about this as well is something that Zoe touched on earlier. And that's that like, this isn't the, just like a pie in the sky idea. Like this actually works. Like there's a lot of good data out there that's starting to emerge that like when you focus on people, when you focus on their well-being, like the results that you want follow and they're actually easier to get and more sustainable over time. So like, I think there's a real advantage to be had here and it's just about making that mindset shift. Awesome. Could um, could one of you give maybe the elevator pitch of what the Humanizing Initiative does? 
So what the humanizing initiative does for me is um, centralizes um, humans within the organization. It forces or force maybe is not a good word, but it um, influences us to think about human well-being, dignity and respect first and foremost. What a humanizing initiative does is help leaders become more responsible and think beyond profits and shareholder perspective, but adopt a much broader stakeholder perspective. So thinking about the community you serve, thinking about the community you're in or you're part of, looking at your context, looking at the people within your organizations, followers and leaders, and also thinking about the world at large, which personally to me is very important. As I said earlier, I'm a global scholar. Oftentimes in my classes, I talk about when I say the we, I really mean the this big planet, all of us on this planet Earth. Um, so the idea of responsibility, the idea of um, learning, the idea of human experience, the idea of well-being, dignity, respect, um, is very important to me as I think about the humanizing initiative and making sure that we develop leaders um, who understand these perspectives and also making sure that we develop cultures and structures within organizations that facilitate the development of such leaders and such an environment. Awesome. Uh, Mo, um, I recall our first meeting with the humanizing initiative, um, I referred I refer to it simply as love at first sight, but <laughs> could you could you break down for us a little bit more specifically how this relationship between Softway mm -hmm. and the Humanizing Initiative formed and kind of where we're at today? Sure. So as you know, Jeff, we've been in this business uh, of providing services. And as we went through our journey uh, over the last 17 years, we've had to find a way to humanize our own leadership and our own business so that we can bring better outcomes, uh, not only for the people who work at Softway, but for the customers we serve and for the business objectives that we were doing the work for. And we obviously had this inclination that the right way to uh, go out and improve our productivity and bring our full selves to work was to incorporate love into our culture. And to be honest, whenever I would try to speak about the culture of love inside of a workplace, uh, many of the business counterparts or uh, people in the corporate world looked at me strangely <laughs> and they thought that I was crazy or HR people maybe got a little uh, careful of doing work with us. And um, I, I was clearly trying to look for like-minded uh, people and organizations that believed in that philosophy. And, you know, for us and for me personally, it's it's been a, a journey where I'm trying to practice the culture of love and servant leadership and humanizing leadership inside of our own walls and help with our customers. But one thing that for me was uh, really needed was to be able to back it up with research and the academic side. And I obviously am not, um, you know, in, in the academics field. And to be able to convince 
our uh, business uh, corporate world around this philosophy, I was searching for um, white papers or uh, information out there that could back up this approach. And that's how I met uh, Dr. Hilji is because of that very reason in finding academics who believed in this approach. Um, I encountered Dr. Hilji over LinkedIn and we began to speak and we're like, oh my gosh, this is, this is exactly what I've been looking for is somebody who can bring the science and the academic research and that side to the equation. And uh, I thought it was a, it was, it was a fortunate uh, incident of us encountering and we, we just interacted over LinkedIn and here we are. We've been talking about this and I'm, I'm really excited to have you all on the podcast and try to speak about it more and spread more awareness to, you know, humanizing leadership, which, you know, results in a culture of love. <laughs> so love at first sight, basically. Yes. <laughs> okay, got it. Like I said. Um, I guess I'll pick on Mia a little just because um, I'm trying to spread the love around here. I, I'm curious um, when it comes to like, we call it love as a business strategy and we have, uh, I mean, as we've discussed, like as we've had conversations away from, from this podcast, we've just been talking about a lot of the same things with different terms and things like that. I'm curious what you see when we say, when you hear love in the workplace, um, what's the humanizing initiative kind of um, take on that? Why th does that fit in your philosophy and your model? And what's your angle on it? I, I think about sort of the four drives that humans have and things that come up in humanistic leadership literature. And there's a lot of organizations that really focus on sort of the two animalistic drives. And I say animalistic because they're not just unique to humans, but they're unique so they all animals have them. So the drive to defend and the drive to acquire. And I think a lot of organizations satisfy those two things. And humanistic leadership argues that there are two other drives that humans have, and that's the drive to bond and the drive to comprehend. And I think that's where love and learning come in, specifically around bonding, this need to be connected. We are social beings. And I think that is clear more now than it ever has been being in a place of having to be um, very siloed from social activities. So I think that that sort of proves that we need to have this connection. And when people have their, you know, as Muhammad was saying, like his, his counterparts that peaked a little bit when he said love. I think that you know there's this this notion that love in the workplace isn't appropriate because it's seen as a romantic love, but there's very different forms of love that exist. And if we were to really lean into it, I certainly think that it could shift cultures in a workplace in communities. So I think it's certainly a part of the of the model. So well said, Mia. I think um, our drive to bond is so critical in the workplace. And when we think about humanizing, obviously drive to bond includes love as a component. I would also sort of think about compassion, love in the form of compassion as well. And compassion is when you notice the pain and suffering around you and how, how others are feeling. 
uh, you interpret that uh, suffering and pain as worthy of your attention. And then you feel concern and then you act on that uh, pain. So I think love in terms of compassion, uh, personally for me is very important as you think about humanizing leaders and humanizing organizations. And I think that's where my big global sort of understanding comes into, uh, um, comes, comes into full circle because uh, you know when you look at the world around you and what's the suffering out there, what's the pain out there, what are the inequalities, are they worthy of our attention? That's first and foremost. And then um, uh, um, how do we how do we act or enact? How do we enact in ways that we are able to alleviate that suffering and pain? For me, I mean, when I think about love at a workplace, that's what I think about compassion. Awesome. Jason, I guess my question for you would be like, and a lot of my questions are going to be this way because I love finding the overlaps and the compare and contrast of our two initiatives. What for you, when it comes to humanizing and, and love, are these two, how are these two the same? How are they different in your mind? Yeah, I think that that's a great question. And it's actually, my brain was already going there listening to Dr. Kilji and, and Mia. Um, I feel like, you know, if we take, love out of the workplace and we really are preventing people to from bringing them their full selves to work you know and really being in a place where they can um feel like they can have you know deep relationships they can um you know ask questions that might be hard for the their boss to hear um you know that that i think they're in that way like you know humanistic leadership and and love as a business strategy are are, are very much um overlapping um i i don't know I don't know in what ways they're different, honestly. Um, I, I, when I think about the workplace, and Zoe mentioned some work I've done around, um, you know, the workplace is a place of transformation. You know, that's one of the reasons that I get excited about work. Like, it's not about, you know, it's not about the results. It's not about the, you know, the rewards or accolades or anything like that. It's about the relationships that I've made. Um, it is about the experiences I've had that have made me, um, hopefully, um, a little bit better of, of a person. Um, and it's about that potential for perpetual growth. And, and, you know, that's, that's, that's where I think that maybe, you know, when I, when I think about love and some of those things, they to me, they're kind of higher order things that we don't oftentimes associate with work, but why not? Awesome. And Jason, I asked you about the first part of our names here, comparing love and, um, humanization. Zoe, let me ask you about the other part. When you think about business and leaders um, and the initiative that you guys are trying to, I mean, when we talk about the humanizing initiative, so much of that conversation is around leadership and its role in it as well. Can you help me connect or compare and contrast those kind of things as well? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, we look to our leaders, I think for that pulse uh, at the organization or at the company and at the Humanizing Initiative, we talk a lot about promoting uh, human dignity and well-being. And I think that is the ultimate form of love. And I think, you know, when we talk about trust in the leader, um, you know, when we talk about teams, you know, we say high-performing teams are high-trust teams. So uh, in kind of maintaining and establishing that two-way relationship with the leader, it has to be rooted in that trust. And I think one way of creating that trust is through that love of 
you know, making sure that your your people are cared for and that they feel energized to show up to the work mm -hmm. as their full self, um, that they feel like they're being challenged and that they are able to play to their strengths, um, that they feel like their workplace can accommodate other parts of their lives. So, um, you know, whether that be family obligations or, um, you know, other, other things like that, I think it's so important as a leader um, in gaining that trust. I think it's through love and through those things. I love it. Um, I guess it's almost for the group, but you know, I'm I'm excited about what's why is Muhammad laughing at me? I'm so confused. You used the word love so many times. I was just you know <laughs> keeping track, but it's cool. I like it. Are you like keeping little I hash marks? I love like, it. <laughs> he's, like, he's like tallying. Um, it's in the name of our podcast, Muhammad. All right, so. <laughs> One of the things I, I'm super excited about this, you know, this concept of the series that we're about to embark on here. And um, I think we decided on a series because as we started talking to each other, we were like, this is not going to fit in one episode. And so I do want to kind of tease at that, though, and this is, can be for anyone. What, what is the problem we're trying to solve? What are, what are we trying as we come together here? What's the problem statement? Uh, such a good question, right? That's going to take a century to resolve, right? <laughs> um, so I'm a big picture person, right? I think if you haven't got that uh, uh, now, I think you should get it now. If you haven't <laughs> got it yet, uh, until now, you should get it now. Um, so, you know, the problem statement for me is that, uh, you know, we live in societies um, uh, or within work within organizations that are so uh, predominantly economistic in nature. And, uh, you know, uh, many scholars have argued, um, and I could name a few, Pearson and Nelson, for example, they argue that contemporary organizations are founded on immoral economistic principles, uh, whereby profit maximization is the most important indicator. Um, so consequently, it has fostered a culture of rationality in decision-making uh, that favors rationality over responsibility and wisdom and search for parsimony over uh, human complexity, as I said earlier, self-interest over collective well-being. Um, uh, so consequently, we have leadership development approaches that focus so much upon skill development, competency, development and they over rely on narrow set of assumptions and uh, focus on le developing leaders that have just the right type of skills and it's often debated what are those just the right type of skills right um actually there was a research that was done that found out that there are more, more than a thousand different types of just the right type of skills right <laughs> so think about in terms of developing leaders right so how do we sort of take those more than a thousand uh, skills and um, help one individual or group of individuals develop them, right? Um, so, uh, you know, I make a case for humanistic leadership by emphasizing that we need to um, adopt a different approach that redefines human progress beyond those narrow sets of assumptions that we um, have and going beyond this, you know, machine-like efficiency um, that we have incorporated within our corporate culture. And, um, you know, I'll go back to the book 
um, by Julie Nelson in Economics for Humans, uh, where she refers to economy not being the machine, but economy being the beating heart. And I take it to heart. I take that metaphor to the heart, to heart. And for me, that metaphor is so important. So in coming back to the problem statement, I think um, the problem I see in the world is that we're so focused on very narrow sets of assumptions about what makes organizations successful, what, how to develop leaders. And what Humanizing Initiative does for me is it creates an awareness that um, there is another way out there. We have used this way for more than a century and uh, yes, uh, you know, we have created human progress, but in the, pro in the process of doing so, we have focused so much on wealth creation that we've forgotten all about uh, human progress in terms of well-being, dignity, respect, um, and responsibility as well, because we're responsible, um, we're responsible for the planet since we live on that planet, right? how different communities survive, how different communities thrive on this planet. I think each one of us as an individual, whether we live here or we live in other parts of the world, we're responsible for that. You know, to, to build on what, what you just said, Dr. Tilji, I think um, that idea that like we've done this before, like it's so easy to get lost in the, like lost in all of these systems that we've created that are like dominating right now. But I, I go back to actually, actually a systems thinking article that we read in the in GW's OLL program, and it was like what we forget is that these systems were created by people sitting around a table solving the problems that were in front of them. And so I feel like that's that's sort of um, you know in my mind when I think of it, like what's the problem statement is like how do we how do we develop leaders that like hold human well being at the center of what they do that. How about use love as part of their business strategy? You know, how do you develop leaders? Like, and it's it's more than just skills. There there are mindsets and behaviors and attitudes. And I like to bring in um, adult development stage theory uh, that that says that like just like children, adults continue to progress through their lives through different stages in which they find different things meaningful. Um, and I feel like our you know what 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 we the problem we're solving here is one of of for me it's about. Uh, figuring out how to uh, create programs and uh, interventions that that help to to build the leaders we need to solve the problems that are before us today. Mia, same question or anything to add on to that? Problem statements or thoughts to add? I think that there is a real sincere lack of trust that needs to be solved between the leader and the non-leader, let's say, if we were to categorize. And I also think there's this dangerous assumption that when you're at work, you're your professional you. And when you're at home, you're your shoes off self you. And that there's this separation. And I think that that's dangerous because it's not realistic. It doesn't take into context the complexity of the human that you are. And if you were to leave a part of you out, perhaps that influences your creativity at work or your presence at work in a project. Um, I think you also see it in, in education. You see so many individuals going out and getting uh, degrees like MBAs and where they've added in courses like business ethics. And perhaps that wasn't always a part of the curriculum. And so when you start digging into how leaders have gotten to where they are today in this dramatic economistic paradigm, you can really backtrack and see where that comes from. And this notion of, getting the most out of people when they're at work. Like these are sort of the things that 
create this separation between leader and non-leader and this distrust that you know Dr. Kilji was really going into earlier. And how do how do we really resolve that? Because you can't have one without the other. They're the same thing on different ends of the spectrum. And so if we look at it differently and look at it as being interconnected and really seeing, okay, well, I can't really separate this from that. I actually need to embrace that they're connected and need to figure out how to work within that interconnectedness. And I think that trying to solve that means you have to balance all of those drives. And yeah, it's not easy. If it, if it was easy, everybody would be doing it. But I think if we refocus and we really see that it benefits everybody to do that, we can figure it out. Zoe, do we miss anything? I love what Mia said about the shoes off because I think <laughs> now what, we, what we're realizing is that we're now at work, we all have our shoes off. So yes, that literally. Mean? We don't have exactly that. I have my shoes off. So, you know, how are we, how can we kind of use this moment as an opportunity to start to break down those walls as it relates to who is my work self, who is my, my own self, because that performance that you put on when you show up to the office, it's not sustainable. And I think that that's what we kind of see is that, you know, with burnout, um, with, you know, we, we um, conceptualize these programs around inclusion and making people feel, you know, at home and bring your whole, your whole self to work. How can we really start to look at that from a systems perspective, from a process perspective of what if there didn't need to be that performance? What if you could really show up to work metaphorically with your shoes off? Mohammed, I know you're about to speak, but let me, yes. prime, let me prime you. Uh, I know you're probably thinking the same thing I'm thinking, because as they say, almost every single word they're saying, we're just like internally <laughs> like, yeah, like, like just, just heads yeah. like about to fall off of our shoulders from not the nodding, like just hurts the neck. Um, but Mohammed, more specifically, I'd love to hear from you about where that connects with our mission and kind of like where that you know, everything they're saying we've seen in yes. the, who we worked with. So talk a little, I mean, we have stories, like, sh can you share a little bit? I mean, ultimately being in the business world and consulting and working with different organizations, we have seen firsthand how when people are not at the center of uh, their decision-making and how their businesses are run or are not purpose-driven, with humanity at the center of everything that those organizations, while they may build uh, profits for short term, they are not sustainable. They cannot survive for the long term. And, um, you know, that's becoming more and more apparent, especially now during this COVID economy and COVID crisis, where organizations that are not able to put their people first in, and, and take care of their workforces are not going to be resilient, are not going to be able to adapt and overcome these uh, COVID crises, whether you're looking from hospital systems to any vertical out there. We are being challenged uh, in the business world and as leaders to try to do something different. And the difference is those organizations that are going to help focus on their people and put humanity into their workplace, especially during crises like these, are the ones that are gonna come out being resilient and successful and surviving. And some of the behemoth 
type organizations that uh, were not willing to put people at as the focus, as you can see, are struggling. And some of the biggest name brand companies are now struggling and are not able to cope up with this environment, COVID crisis, and a lot of them are declaring bankruptcy and so forth. So I think the COVID crisis is really helping the cause. And I know it's not a good thing considering everything that is happening because of it, but from a business world, I think it's actually giving us a platform to help leaders and business owners realize and recognize how important it is to have empathy to your workforce, to your uh, employees, because they're human at the end of the day. They have these needs and we have to have compassion during these COVID crises. So one thing positive that I'm seeing is that while it is uh, a challenge and has been a challenge, that these COVID crises are actually giving organizations a reason to start focusing on people. And I see that as a positive sign. I see that as something that's going to help uh, the cause that the humanizing initiative and the mission that you all have, and including our mission, which is to bring back humanity to the workplace. It's, uh, it, it, it almost seems like it's, it's the perfect storm for us to be able to help with this um, situation and predicament that has existed for over a century. You know what it feels like to me? I feel like um, Mohammed Softway, we've been on this crazy journey through time and space over the last few years where we've trans tried to transform ourselves from this very, you know, profit centric, revenue centric kind of kind of structure, completely transforming into this world of resilience and a culture of love and all these different values and behaviors at the center of our leadership and things. And we're still on that journey, but it mm -hmm. feels like, you know, we're on the, you know, we've landed on this planet and it feels like we've been working on this planet, like alone for so long. Mm -hmm. And then we've now traveled to the dark, the other side of the planet. And we meet this group of people who've also been exploring this planet. And it's right. so re it's so refreshing to like, kind of be like, we don't speak the same language. We're aliens to each other, but yet, we both do math the same way or something like that. Like we're, we're speaking the same core language and we've seen the same things. And I'm so excited uh, to, to continue this journey because it just feels like it's been, I won't say lonely because I think people get it when we share this message, but in terms of trying to really push the envelope and really move the needle for this type of stuff, it, we haven't met a lot of people who are, uh, to kind of making that a mission statement. And so it's been really exciting to have these conversations and so exciting that we're just like, let's get on the podcast here, let's talk about it because uh, I think there's just so much to further align on and these different perspectives are gonna be so powerful in further bringing to light um, pretty much the, this thing that we are both on, we're like saying the same exact things. Um, everything they, did, they just said, it's just like, again, um, go back, listen to any, any of the other episodes we're already like all we're drinking that Kool-Aid every day heavily. And so I'm, I'm super, super pumped. Um, sorry. That was my soapbox about that. Um, what, what are you, what are you guys looking forward to? What I, as this series plays out, what are you guys hoping to get across to an audience or help, help shed light on? Sorry. I addressed the whole group again. So I'll start, I'll start with, with, Shaista and 
You guys keep calling her Dr. Kilji. She has given me permission to call her Shysta. I will continue to I will not have given me permission. I haven't, I, haven't, I haven't received that permission. Yeah, Jason, you never asked. <laughs> we'll, start, we'll start with you, Shysta. What, what are you looking forward to? Um, I think this idea of humanistic leadership, humanizing organization, humanity at a workplace, obviously, Jeff, as you said, and Mohammed, as you said, you know, there are so many commonalities. We speak the same language, and let's call that language humanist language. <laughs> um, what I'm looking forward to is telling the audience that there's another way out there, um, and that way... Um, that way brings us prosperity too. That way is also going to lead to human progress. And that way is also going to lead us to inclusion. And that way is also going to lead us to profits. But it would, in the process of doing so, we need to uh, focus um, more on the individual and more on the human uh, or humanity, as you say it. Um, um, and what I'm interested in telling the audience is that, uh, you know, it's it's not it's not that hard, in one way. Uh, the message is very simple, and it's not a new message. And uh, you know, I don't think it's a new message. This message has been talked about for centuries by philosophers. Uh, it may be a new message in in the business discipline, but uh, you know, I think this message about respect, human dignity, human well-being. Economists are also sort of addressing that from a non-quantitative perspective as well. Um, so it's a simple message, um, and uh, but it requires effort and it requires commitment. Um, so I'm really looking forward to the audience knowing that there's another way out there. Uh, the message is simple, but it requires effort and commitment. And I look forward to working with organizations and leaders to make sure that uh, we end up humanizing the world, right? You're, you're talking about humanizing the workplace. We talk about leaders and organizations. So really, all of us um, collectively, I think we are interested in humanizing the world. So I'm looking forward to seeing that happen. Awesome. Awesome. I'll pick on Zoe then. Zoe, what about you? <laughs> I think really starting to dissect what are these truths that we just collectively have accepted as it relates to work and how we do our work. Um, you know, that you need to leave your humanity at the door or, um, you know, that, that work is merely a place to pick up a paycheck. Um, how can we start to unlearn those truths? And I think through, through that, we can kind of start to bring, um, that humanity into the workplace, um, start to create a, a space where people do really feel like they can show up fully human. So how do we start to dissect and kind of start to unlearn those? Um, you know, I think like Mohammed said, I think that leaders are interested in an alternate path. I think that this is kind of an inflection point. So how can we kind of do away with what we've done and move in a different direction? Awesome. Jason, I'll go to you. You know, I, um, I think there's a couple of things here. Like one, one is that this is this is a pretty. I mean, it's it's a time honored, long, you know, held field here. You know, that goes back to philosophy and everything like that. And there's so much that we need to develop for what we're facing in our modern world and our modern organizations. And so I think that like one of the things that I'm excited about is is learning a little bit more about your approaches. Um, 
And I think you know, getting this message out a little bit more and learning maybe about other organizations that are interested in this as well, so that we can start to build a little bit more of a coalition around this. Um, that's where I think, um, you know, it's, you know, I think in my, my uh, 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 friends here will, will remember me saying this, but like, you know, this, I look at the time that we're in right now, and it really is this in-between time, this, this time when, um, you know, the old world is sort of falling apart and the new world is yet to be kind of come into its own. And, and I think that humanistic leadership and love as a business strategy paint a much better way forward that is much more in line with what the needs of people are, what the needs of the world and the planet are. Um, and I think this is a great first step in kind of developing that new world. I love that. It's awesome. Mia. I have so many thoughts. I wanted to break out in song and say a whole new world is what I want, <laughs> is what I want the audience to know. There is a, an entrepreneur who has a company that I love. Her name is Kalila Wright and her, her company is called um, Message in a Bottle, Mess in a Bottle. And she posted this thing that makes me, that I love. And it says, a big part of becoming an adult is unlearning a lot of stuff you were taught by people who didn't know what they were doing either. And <laughs> I think that that's so appropriate because we're not facing the same challenges that we were facing five years ago, 10 years ago, 25 years ago. And so I think we have to look at things differently and look at them in a, in a more holistic way. And I think that this is what the humanistic leadership concept, the humanistic initiative does is it allows for you to look at things in a bigger, more interconnected way, which is where we are as a, as a, I don't want to even say as a society because it's really as a globalized planet. And I think that if we were to, to do that, what would we, what sort of challenges would we have if we were to really focus on the human and the individual and prioritize that? Like, what would rest look like? How would we have a discussion around rest? And like, how does that impact you bringing your full self to work? And I, I just think that if we were to look at things a little bit differently, we could elicit a lot of different results. And I don't mean necessarily economistic results, but those are to follow. And I don't think that they are, I don't think that they're mutually exclusive. And it feels like up until now, they're so often described as being mutually exclusive. Like you have to drive at this profit, which means you have to work 65 hours a week, which means you have to you know, cut out all these other things that are important to you. And nobody on their deathbed looks back and says, man, I really wish I worked more. So <laughs> if you wanna really be a part of creating a, if you care about your people, if you're a leader in an organization, then wouldn't you want to create a space where, yeah, people do their best work, but that means you've also given them a space to be themselves, a space to have time outside of work so that they're recharged. Everyone knows that when you come back from a vacation, how on it are you? You're like firing on all cylinders. You have the best ideas. Mm -hmm. I just think if we were to formalize that, which is what we would propose in the Humanizing Initiative, um, it could look really differently at work. I love it. I love it. Uh, Mo, are you itching to talk there? Or are you just stretching? No, I'm just <laughs> nodding my head. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna need, I'm gonna like a heating pad for my neck after all this nodding. <laughs> uh, listen, this is more than exciting for me. I'm 
I've been really uh, invigorated by the conversation we've had today. Again, almost everything you're saying is like this. It's like I'm hearing it for the first time. I'm hearing something I've always been saying myself, like in a different translated language in a beautiful new language. And it's it's amazing. So I'm super, I'm super excited. I'm super excited to continue this series. Um, I think the next time we get together, we'll take like a, a cross section of this group, come back together and maybe dive deeper into some more specific things we can talk about. I think our next episode, we want to focus on, on really unpacking and un uncovering the problem and why it exists in the world today so we can start addressing it better. And we'll move from there into multiple series. So I'm so excited to continue talking to you guys. Shaista, Jason, Mia, Zoe, thank you so much for your time. Um, I'm already looking forward to our next conversation. Mohammed, also thank you as always for being with us, uh, even though you have to be. And, <laughs> and um, you know, with that, uh, I wanna close out this episode, but really, really, really excited about this, this, this next step that we're gonna be taking. And, you know, for the audience, if you like this episode, please go leave us a five-star review, subscribe, all those things, please, we'd love it. But more importantly, tune in because we're going to continue this conversation and definitely dive deeper and deeper. And with that, uh, thank you all. See you next Tuesday. Have a good one. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you, Mahal. Bye. Bye. Bye.